You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. Welcome back to another episode. Today I have an interview and his name is Joshua Spodak. That's right, Joshua Spodak. He has a PhD, an MBA. He is a three-time TEDx speaker, and he is author of the book Initiative and Leadership Step-by-Step. But what's even more interesting is that this guy was also the head coach for at one time the number one rated pickup artist in the world who is no longer around anymore. His name is Brad P. I remember seeing Brad P. speak uh, many years ago. Over 10 years ago, I saw him speak, and he was uh, a very nice guy, very interesting guy, had some had some pretty good tips in terms of being able to be more confident with women, be more sexual with them in a non-creepy way, and he was uh, it was very good at, at what he did. Not sure why he stopped doing what he does. Not a lot of people stay in this industry. They uh, have very short lifespans. Either way, we are excited to be speaking to Joshua today, who did once work for Brad P, and he's got some interesting stories to tell. His own story is interesting, but he also gives some really good tips in terms of when you're getting sexual with a woman, some good mindsets in terms of how to think about dating and women, and I really appreciated his insight and his advice and just our whole conversation together, and I think you're going to enjoy it too. That's why I had him here on the podcast. So you're really going to enjoy this. I just want to let you know that right now we are still taking clients for the Trip Advice program. And also, I don't know if I've said this too much, but there is also a mastermind program that I'm currently doing. The mastermind program is a group of guys who we're getting together with every week on Zoom, every Monday night. And we are going and talking about all kinds of things, of course, dating, sex, relationships. But we're also making sure that you're sticking to your goals and holding you accountable. And it's a great option for guys who maybe can't do a one-on-one coaching program but are more into doing something with a group. So this is definitely a great opportunity for you. And there are a few spots open if you wanted to join that. And that is going to be, like I said, something that we do every Monday night. I've already been doing it for... The past month, I did test it out a few months ago just for a month and to see how when it went well. That's why I started it up again, and we're about to head into the second month with it. If you're listening to this podcast uh, in the future, I'm sure I'm still doing something like this. So if you are interested, just go to coachedbytrip.com where you can apply for coaching, whether it be in the mastermind or just one-on-one, and I hope to hear from you. So coachedbytrip.com is where you go to fill out an application, and you and I can start working together. Listen, it's getting down to the colder seasons for a lot of people who live, uh, let's say, above Florida and uh, not so much in in California and and anywhere around the world where it's going to get cold. This is time to start getting into this stuff because women really want to start dating and meeting a guy that they can cozy up with when it gets cold. It is true. So this is a great time to get in. I mean, let's be honest. Anytime is a great time to get into it. Women want to be dating all year round. They want to find someone. And so this is a is always a great opportunity. But still, got to say it. We are going into the winter months. Okay, let's get into it. Here is my interview with Joshua Spodek. You're going to enjoy this. Hey, Joshua. How's it going, man? Good to have you on the podcast. Very good. Glad to be here. 
Yes. Awesome. So we started talking a little bit before I pressed record here. You were telling me uh, just a little bit about your history. I want to go a little bit further back and and you can tell us who you are. Uh, and, you know, I think that should probably explain why I'm having you here on the podcast and, and talking about some of this stuff, but maybe give a little brief history of who you are and and your time doing some dating coaching yourself and then into what you're doing now. Yeah, I'll give the really quick version. If you want more details of anything, let me know. Uh, and I mean, at the beginning, I was a really nerdy kid growing up and I tried to hide it. And then somewhere in my junior year in college, I said, fuck it. I, I really love science and I'm going to go into physics. And I got a PhD in physics. Uh, I helped uh, launch a satellite that's off in space, still taking data. But once I started in, in the PhD world, I really didn't, I was nerdy, but not I didn't like it. Like I, I wanted to be cool and it wasn't, the life wasn't what I wanted to live. So as it happened, this is the mid nineties and some friends of mine were talking about starting a company. I had an idea for an invention and I, the, the two years of ending, finishing and writing my PhD were the two years of starting my company and writing the business plan and getting funding. And then we launched the company in, oh man, um, the launch date for my company, we spent all summer planning what was the perfect day that we could like, what, what day is going to be not a whole lot of other press things. What's going to get the most attention. And I don't, I don't want to get too heavy this early in the conversation, but the launch date for my company was September 11th, 2001. I knew you were going to say that. I, yeah. I just knew it. It was so weird, but uh, wow, that's crazy. Continue. Well, so we didn't, we couldn't get funding. We couldn't get revenues. The company almost went bankrupt. It didn't, but I got squeezed out by the investors. Uh, that took another two years for that to happen. We we're still going in the meantime you know, eking along. And then I realized after licking my wounds and a lot of tears and getting closer to my family when things were really rough, um, you know, still to pay my rent or mortgage. And so I, uh, I ended up realizing I worked at a friend's company for a while, realized that I wanted to keep starting companies, didn't have any business experience. PhDs don't really teach you that. So I went back to get an MBA there. I learned about leadership and you could learn to change, you could change yourself. And I had no idea, you know, that physics just doesn't cover that. But I also realized that when I left school and started, you know, I'm like, oh, I got really good grades and Ivy League business school. I'm going to, I'm going to lead. And then I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I could. And that got me into learning other ways of learning, project-based learning, experiential learning. And it's also when I got a copy of the game by Neil Strauss. And I thought, it was a perfect combination that I didn't talk about until very recently that leadership skills and attraction and self develop personal development, personal growth, they all go very well together. And so all this time, like my mom was like, Josh, you're really changing. You're, and I'm like, yeah, it's all those classes from business school. When I'm also like, it's all these approaches I've been doing. Then, um, so there was a period when I decided that I was going to start a school for leadership and I was going around Manhattan where I live going to the different incubators and, and suggesting that I train and coach and teach entrepreneurs leadership skills that they probably don't have and so that they don't have to go through the problems that I did. At one point, one of the guys running one of these places was also with NYU and he like points his finger, sticks it in my face and goes, I'm going to hire you. And so he hired, so I was thinking, my first thought was, you're the competition. I'm trying to teach a different way than most universities teach. And, uh, but Universities, uh, NYU is a really good school and there was, it was a really good opportunity. So I started teaching there for a while, um, wrote 
my book, Leadership Step-by-Step, an initiative were based on courses that I taught at NYU. And then something happened about five, six years ago that I didn't expect to be something professional, is that I started taking all these headlines about the environment seriously, and I started challenging myself to live more sustainably. And all these changes that I thought would be burdens and chores and you know distractions from what I really wanted to do in life actually started enriching my life. And I didn't see the message out there. I didn't see anyone actually leading in the area of sustainability. I saw people telling people what to do and spreading facts and figures and doom and gloom, which I would call management at best. And I realized there's no Mandela of the environment. There's no MLK of the environment. And I've stepped up to, until someone can do it better, I'm going to do it. And so I've been doing a lot of, if you look at my podcast and what what I'm working on now, it's leadership in the area of the environment. And people who really know what to look for can see the leadership in it. And people who really know what to look for can see the seduction and attraction in it too, which I, that's something I rarely mention. That's interesting. That's interesting. I'm curious too, is, is you were also a leader, speaking of leadership in the area of specifically dating and seduction, working for, you know, one of the biggest coaches uh, who's now uh, retired or just doesn't do it anymore. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So I was, I guess it began, you know, when I first started reading and going to the meetings and learning to change myself and be more attractive, I would work really hard. And there was this one meeting in New York where a bunch of different gurus were going up and each was talking about their techniques and their style and so forth. And then they'd say at the end, you know, if you like my style, why don't you get some coaching with me? So I'd heard of Brad, but I didn't really know much about him. I knew his, um, the guy in New York working with him, Glenn. And he and I had become friends. And so the two of them go up and start talking about what they do. And they had something that I'd never seen before in this community, which was they were really fun. And people who knew me at the time were like, they knew that I was coaching a little bit here and there. And so I thought at the end, he said, anyone who likes my stuff, raise your hand, come on up. And I was like, if I raise my hand, I'm going to look like people who think I'm really good. I'm going to look really like maybe I won't look so good. And I said, fuck it. I want to learn. So I put my hand up and I went up and I started training with him and it was really fun. It was, it, I mean, he had a one-year program that you had to do a certain amount every month and write it up. And there's a community online and it was a really comprehensive thing, but you had to be really dedicated because there's no one holding your hand. You had to do it all yourself, but that was perfect for me. So I dove into it. In fact, his, um, the, his New York guy who ran the program said, Josh, you're clearly good at a lot of this stuff. You can skip some of the months if you want to do it faster. So month 12 is uh, threesomes. And I was like, I, that's what I wanted more than anything else. I was like, I want to do whatever it takes to get month 12 to work. So I don't want to skip anything. I don't want any holes in my foundation. So I did everything by the book. So month 12 came and like two weeks later, I got my first threesome, which was like, I was like, wow, it's like clockwork. And um, then I applied to become a coach with him. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things, oh, tryouts. I had to go out to LA and there was maybe 10 guys trying out at the same time. And to be, to be a coach. Yeah. Okay. And some of them lived out there in LA because he had a mansion where people could live together near the bar. What year scene. is this? What year is this? 2010, 2011. Yeah, that sounds about right. 10 years yeah. ago. And he, so the deal is he and Jake are going to watch us go throughout a bar and it's the afternoon. The bar's like mostly empty. It's weird thinking now, no masks. <laughs> and, right. No, whole different time. And he, the, he, 
they arranged it so that the most unlikely guys, the worst guys would go first and the best guys would go last. So I was second to last. And the guy last was a guy who lived out there. He's been there a lot. So now Brad and Jake, I don't know if you've met them in person, but they're both, they look like rock stars. They're both like six, five, maybe they're like tall rock stars. And so I have to go through a room that's mostly empty that eight other guys have just gone, who've learned the same technique are going up to the same women. And these two six foot five guys dressed like rock stars are standing five feet away with notepads taking notes. And it was this crazy harrowing experience, but it was really fun. I got invited to go out to Vegas with this one girl. And anyway, so it went really well. He hired me. And then a couple of days later, he had his first, he said, okay, Josh, you're going to come in and do a training session with the guys in the mansion. And we met outside the mansion. So this is the Hollywood Hills. I don't really know LA very well. And we met outside and he starts filling me in on the guys who live there, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they're trying to get to do and so forth. And I have been, you know, I got five Ivy League degrees. I've studied with some of the most, I've studied with Nobel Prize winners, and I've had an amazing educational journey in my life. And I think I can safely say that Brad and Jake showed the most compassion and empathy and teaching skills and closeness. It was, it was like a formative experience for me to see the attention to detail, the, how they would get the guys comfortable to share about themselves. Of course, they're motivated because these guys, to do it, they have to, I mean, you got to be in a place where you're like, I might never get laid for the rest of my life if I don't really do something about this. So they're motivated to work. But it was really an amazing experience. And that has forever showed me what the potential is to help people it's so far beyond just giving information or telling people what to do. There's, I mean, there's a level of depth that I hadn't seen before. You know, he, he studied as a sociologist before that, and it, he knows a lot of psychology. He's not like just a, there's not, there's a reason why he was voted the number one guru. He, he really knows what he's doing and he really cares. And I, I hope a lot of that rubbed off on me. I hope so. I mean, it sounds like it. I'm curious to, let's dive into that. So what are the, some of the things that you did learn that was, that you said was, you know, major depth and, and you said it was a formative experience. What made it that way? In his case, it was making the person feel comfortable sharing what makes them feel vulnerable because that's what they want to work on most, but that's also what they protect the most. My whole technique, not my whole technique, but a lot of my technique is based on leadership to me. A lot of people associate leadership with if someone wasn't going to do it except for my leading them, then they didn't want to do it. So I'm trying to get someone to do something that they don't want to do. But that's not the case. There may be some people who do it that way, but my model for leadership is helping people do what they wanted to do before, but didn't, but couldn't figure out how. So there's generally motivations that people have. They're worried about failure, you know, not living up to expectations or being judged. And so they protect what they want. And the more that they want it, the more meaningful it is to them, the more deep the emotions, the more they protect it. And they don't know that they're doing this. I'm, you know, I'm protecting myself all over the place without realizing it. And so I used to think step one was to listen, but even before listening, you have to make them feel comfortable sharing. So you have to behave and communicate in ways that make people feel comfortable sharing these things. So that all starts with yourself. So there's, you have to go into deep levels with yourself. You have to be able to listen. You have to be able to make them feel comfortable. And that means a lot of listening, a lot of reading, um, not reading books, reading their body language, reading their facial expressions, things like that. Even right now, I'm starting to sense I'm talking too much because if I talk too long, it usually means I'm entertaining myself and not learning enough from the other. No, I mean, listen, you're, and this is great. I, I appreciate your awareness 
and and being able to to call that out but uh but i'm i'm thoroughly entertained right now and interested so you know and that's what this is all about so yeah, just continue keep going so give uh what direction should i go in because i can go in a million I- so so okay so you were how long did you coach for that was probably two or three years. And I was the the number one coach in the number one market for the number one guru. He was in LA. I was in New York. So when you were helping men, what was one of the most common problems that you'd see? And how would you help them overcome it? Because you were doing the boot camp. So you were in person with them going out doing approaches, right? Yeah. The normal, the, the most common way to work would be a one day. We I'd meet them well, if they wanted to work more day game, I'd meet them around noon. If they wanted to do more night game, I'd meet later in the day. And eight hours is pretty intense. And it's the first couple hours are meeting and talking and listening to them and what their interests are and what, what they're, what's important to them. And there was two broad categories. So I was, <laughs> so um, Brad pointed out that every guy who sucks with women, if it's important to him, he's generally going to have an excuse to protect his identity. So he said, Josh, I want a coach for every excuse that guys have, because if, if the guy coach doesn't embody this guy's excuse, he'll say, oh, well, you're not short like I am. If you were short, you would, you know, I can't do it because I'm short or I can't do it because I'm fat or I can't do it because I'm bald or something like that. So he goes, Josh, I want an Asian coach. I want a black coach. I want a white coach. White is pretty, not so minority, but, um, I want a bald coach. I want a fat coach. And he turns and looks at me in the eye and he goes, you're my old coach. <laughs> Cause when, I, I mean, when I started reading Neil's book, it was, uh, I was in my mid thirties. And so at this point I'm in early forties. So the two classes that I got were I had a, a lot of young guys in their twenties, a couple of years out of college, they want to go out and have say, same night lays and things like that. And, but you know, deep down underneath, almost all of them want a connection with, you know, they want intimacy with women, with at least one woman. And then I got a lot of guys coming out of long relationships, divorced guys, guys who hadn't dated in a long time, guys who didn't really know how to, you know, they'd never approached at all because they'd gotten married young or something like that. And that was, you know, here's one pattern I saw a lot of. They'd say, I got married and that was the last blowjob I ever got. Or that was the last time we ever had really crazy sex. And I would ask them, what, why, like, did the women, were they tricking you? Did they do something to, to reel you in faking that they liked it? And they said, never did someone say no. They always said the woman really loved it. And this got me for a long time. How could it be that two people, both of whom love an activity end up divorcing in part because that activity has become unpleasant, has become a source of friction and discomfort. And I struggled with that for a long time. And I would ask them a lot of questions to figure out these details. And I finally came up with that, um, you know, if it becomes transactional, if, if, if you think she's giving me a blowjob, I'm getting something from her. A lot of guys think, well, I got to do something back. Sometimes that ends up being taken out to dinner, buying, buying them jewelry, something, stuff like that. And this happened a lot. I can't say it happened this way for everyone, but definitely was the trend with the guys that I worked with. Well, there's a problem when one thing is an infinite supply and the other costs money and the money is not infinite. You get inflation. You know, first you buy rings and then you buy necklaces and eventually, and and you also get this, the emotions are emotions of transaction, not mutual love and 
elevation and, and things like that. So I'm sure the, I, I wasn't coaching, I, I've coached a few women, but mostly it was the guys and they, they weren't the only, it takes two to tango, but what I realized, so I started working on how to make the, let's just take oral sex if we're talking about, talking about guys. But I mean, I've done this the same way with women who have felt the same way with, with other sexual things going the other direction. So this isn't, I'll say it in the men's language, but it's really universal, is that I wanted to develop a technique to avoid things like that happening. I'm saying this in a kind of joking way, so don't take me too seriously, but I think the proper ending for blowjob is when she says thank you. Interesting. And yeah. Now, what, what's, what I think, what, the reason I like to say this is that I don't want a blowjob from someone who doesn't want to do it. I only want to do it if she wants it. And if she doesn't want it, that's fine. There's other things to do. But if she likes it, then, well, she can't, I got something she doesn't that can make it possible. So the challenge is to find out what about it she likes and to make it that for her. So some women, a blowjob is a, like she likes to give pleasure. For some, she likes to be submissive. For some, she likes to always be improving. There's lots of different things that might be in it. And of course, it's many of these things. But there's different things for different women. And the only way you know is to find out from her. And so the only way to find out from her is to, well, there's many ways to find out. But one of the great ways is to ask her. But of course, if you just ask her, what do you like about blowjobs? You're not going to get such a great answer. So you have to communicate and behave in ways that she's going to feel comfortable sharing. And when you do that, when she shares what she likes about it, then you can make it that way for her through things like your dirty talk and, and how you set things up so that if she's really into um, improving herself, then you might say things like, wow, that was the best one yet. I want to give you a tip to make it even better the next time, which would be different than if she's into submission when you might say that's a good little girl. And if you make it the way that she cares about, and of course, if she likes it in one way and it doesn't overlap with yours at all, that could be trouble. You might, that relationship might not, might not work very well. You might have to really weigh like lean on other things. But if there's overlap, if she likes to be submissive and you like to be dominant, then things that turn you on to say will likely turn her on to hear. And now you can make it about a mutually beneficial, mutually joyful discovery. You know, what that's that way. It's not about transaction. It's about a mutual experience. So this is one little thing among many, but for those who read my book, Leadership Step-by-Step, Step, unit four is, if you know what to look for, it's very similar to that. It's, it's not trying to get someone to do something they don't want to do. It's finding out what about what they want to do is really first finding out what they want to do and then finding out what about that thing inside, deep inside, what is it for that person? And then make it about that. And if you can lead someone that way, people will do things for you It'll look like they're doing it for you, but actually they're doing it for themselves. And that's why they'll thank you afterward. I'm sure people listening to this have had leaders or bosses or professors, and it doesn't have to be someone in authority. It can just be friends too. And they work like crazy. Like they get you to work like crazy. And then at the end, you want to do more with it for that person, even though you were doing all the work and they were just guiding you. That's amazing leadership. It's interesting because I feel like everything you're saying right now can really go across a lot of different areas. You know, I, I just feel like it can be 
what we're saying here can be used in all all different areas of a, of a relationship or you know now you're talking about business but it's not just um you know blowjobs but it's it's can go deeper than that and and span across all different areas i mean is that right oh yeah when i can't stand small talk when i meet someone i don't want to talk about weather sports uh traffic on the way over i mean if i'm buying a slice of pizza you know here's my two bucks give me my slice i, I might i'll probably never talk to that person again transaction is fine. But if I'm meeting some, and if I'm in a party and I don't really want to meet, well, now I'm like back in the days when people could gather in a room together. But if, you know, I want to, if the, if I'm at a gathering where there's a good chance that the person I'm talking to is interesting, I want to know who they are. I want to know, I, I want to connect on something meaningful to them. So I want to be able to, as soon as I can make these connections. And that means, you know, not just what they do, but, and not even, not, why they do it, but usually the first thing that they say is going to be some sort of cocktail party answer. But usually there's a reason that they, you know, people listen to this podcast. They're not casually doing things probably. I mean, you help people improve. You help people become better them. And so there's stuff that's motivating them. Most of the people in our lives, you, me, everyone listening to this are, are like that. They're not flipping burgers. Not that I have anything, not, not to say there's anything wrong with flipping burgers, but if, you, if something's motivating people, Get at that. And if you can get at that, your life and your relationships are about meaning and purpose and value. And the transaction is less so. I mean, there are transactions, but the people that you connect with are going to be people you connect with based on what they care about. And then when they care about, when they share what they care about, it's almost impossible not to reciprocate and share what you care about. Very cool. I like that. I like that. So let's let's go back to what we were saying. I feel like we went down such a, a an awesome rabbit hole, but I want to come back up to you were talking to these guys that you're coaching. They're telling you about some of their issues. I'm curious about what some of their issues are beyond. Uh, well, yeah, just tell me some just more issues that that guys would would say to you when they're trying to work with you as a dating coach. I'll tell you one thing. Almost every guy I asked, I would. I would ask them, how are you with touching? If they were in the community, I would say Kino. I don't really talk that language anymore. But how are you with touching women? And every single one of them would say, that I'm really good at. And then I'd say, great, next approach that you do, you know, show me a little bit of touching with the girl. And not one of them was comfortable or good at touching. And I don't know what they were... Th I, I mean, I kind of knew what a lot of them were thinking, but touch is such an important element of communication. And so many people associate it, especially today with all of the um, stuff going on campuses and so forth, people are really afraid of it. But there's a lot of non-sexual touch that's friendly. I mean, you can start with a handshake. I mean, that's not how I'd start talking to a girl, but there's a lot of incidental bumping into and like it's without having someone there, I can't really show it in person, but it's an integral part. It's up there with eye contact and um, listening. And actually there was, um, for most of the time I was coaching, I had a long-term girlfriend and she really supported this. I didn't hide anything from her. And at the time she was studying to get into med school. So she would, I would ask on days when I was coaching a guy, she would like to study in cafe. So we'd often meet in Union Square in Manhattan and there's a cafe near there she liked to work in. So I'd say, hey, do you mind working at that cafe? And if the guy's into it, 
I'm going to use you as a prop to show him some advanced touching things because so, then it's nice. To, I'm, I'm straight. I don't want to, I, I, I can't really have the guy touching me in the way he should touch a woman. So she would often say, yeah, no problem. I can do that. So somewhere in the afternoon, I'd say, let's go meet her. I'd ask him if he was up to it and I'd say, let's go meet her. And so we'd meet and I'd say, okay, here are some things to do. Like how to spin a girl around when you first meet her, how to, um, touch a girl when you first contact someone for the very first time in a way that is going to feel welcoming. And then more advanced stuff, like when you're with a girl for a while and it's not just right off the bat, how do you throw her against the wall? How do you stop her in the middle of the street and dip her? If like, I love this, I just used to love doing this was uh, like, if I'm crossing sixth Avenue and the light and we're crossing with the light, then when we're halfway across the Avenue, if it's a girl I really like, I'm going to grab her and give her a kiss so that she's facing, like Sixth Avenue goes north. So she's going to be facing north. I'm going to be facing south. So I can tell when the lights have changed, when the cars are going to come, and she can't. So it's going to be, I, like, I'm, I don't know what it's like to be her in this situation, but I think her heart starts racing. And I know what's going on, and I know that she's going to be safe. And sometimes the cars will honk because they're seeing this guy kissing this girl and sometimes dipping her. And... All these things that are, um, this is just one element of relationships, but it's something that it's very hard to teach from a book, even from videos, even in person, it takes a while. But I really loved when my girlfriend, we'd be working together for like half an hour at the beginning, just to spin her around a simple move that you might learn if you take dance lessons, he would struggle with like, where do my feet go, where do my hands go? And then by the end of it, he'll be doing some advanced move and you could see her eyes would light up and she's like, oh, that was really good. And then he, he would get this jolt of confidence. So that was That's another cool. thing that was most guys, oh yeah, not long ago, no, it was a couple of years ago now, I was speaking at a corporate event and it just so happened at this corporate event, it was, it was a dinner, at the dinner afterward, there was, um, it just happened that there's one woman and like eight guys and they're all really close. And they say to me, I'm talking to them about stuff like this. And they say, oh, let's, we want to learn some of the stuff. And they're like, why don't you practice on her? I'm like, she's, she's married. And I'm like, I don't want to get weird. And they're like, they get me to do it. So we're at this bar slash restaurant. And I'm like, is this okay with you? And she's like, yeah, yeah, perfect. Let's, let's, let's do this. And so I start showing them and her eyes start lighting up. And it's this weird thing, like a cor super corporate event. Like these are, you wouldn't expect this, but they really loved it. And at the end, she was like, can you teach my husband? She's like, I got to learn that. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But she's like, I, show me this so I can show him to do it with me. Because they got married in like high school. Where do you think you had one of the most or the biggest breakthroughs with a client? Oh, man. There were a lot of them. I mean, it's these these older guys. When, they've been in, when someone comes out of a long relationship, a lot of them, they're especially, you know, long relationships don't break quickly. So they've come out of trying to make it work. It doesn't work. And a lot of them felt broken. And a lot of them felt like I'd had several guys who thought I'm never, I may never have intimacy with a woman again, not just physical intimacy, but emotional and being able to open up. And they didn't know how they, all their stuff was before this, this world opened up to them of, of guys learning attraction to make themselves more attractive. So it was new to them. The, 
what what I looked forward to was when we would go to a bar and they thought you just couldn't approach a girl. And, you know, t- the bars would tend to be girls who are younger than them. So there's often like a 20, 15 year difference between them and, and the women that they approach. But there's something to be said for when he goes up and, you know, at this point we're several hours in, he's done, been doing approaches all day, you know, for hours up until now. And some of them have gone well. Most of them haven't gone that well because they're still getting used to it. But oftentimes at the bar, girls are going out. They want to meet guys. And if, if he says something and she, you, I could see from a distance, like her eyes would light up and she would smile. And then his shoulders would relax and, you know, move back instead of forward. And he would smile and he wasn't, the tension would leave his body. And, you know, sometimes that would last for a while. Sometimes he'd come back and be like, oh my God, I didn't know that that was possible again. And that was the break, that would like break the the log jam. That first smile, that first time that the girl started putting the effort in to keep him there. That That kind of experience, you can't put a, no book can convey it, no video can convey it. A guy can learn from books and make it happen, but when I was coaching, it would consistently happen. And that's like when I would be thinking, now things are really getting started because now his, his, um, his reality got shifted. What he thought was impossible mm-hmm. is, is possible. And now, now he's much more like, what next? See, that's, that's a huge point there. What they didn't think was possible is now possible. I think that is definitely one of the things that makes someone continuously move forward is they have to almost prove to themselves something that was not possible before is now possible. I always say, you know, taking little baby steps to get to that point. But I think that is that is the breakthrough and then what will continue to be mini breakthroughs through a transformational process. Yeah, as a teacher and a coach, that's what I want to do. If the person is so fixed in their beliefs, well, there's not much to learn in that case. And there's different ways to get beliefs that aren't working for you out. One of the most effective ways is if the belief leads you to predict a certain outcome and a different outcome happens, oftentimes you have to revisit those beliefs. Not hard to do when they think I can't make a girl attracted to me because it's, it's your behavior. It's not something, I mean, it's, it's to some extent your appearance, but a lot of it is she's responding to your behavior. And if you behave in, right. a, in a way that's attractive to her, she'll be attracted. And suddenly the belief that, oh, I can't be whatever, it's, it's gone. And so I, I try to work with that. Yeah, as I make a good coach. point too. Is is yeah, the behavior is what makes the. I, I always say behavior is what holds the heaviest weight in terms of attraction when when it comes to women being attracted to men. Where your looks definitely play a part in it, but they don't hold as heavy as a weight as your behavior and your status. Yeah, I'm not a woman, so, but like Mick Jagger doesn't look particularly attractive to me. I, I wouldn't guess that he would be attractive, but I think he's done pretty well for himself. And I think, yeah, exactly, exactly. Nice. Well, listen, it was it was really good talking to you and and kind of learning about uh, some of your past and some of the things that that you did when you were a coach. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you're up to now. And I know that you are still a coach, and maybe there's something where a guy would want to work with you depending on, you know, what it is. So maybe tell us a little bit about that and, and guys can potentially work with you. Yeah. Now my coaching is, is mainly business coaching and it's, well, it starts off business. It's usually people 
executives who are C-suite bound or being considered for it, and they realize, you know, they tended to be people like I was and still am, which is very geeky and analytical and not really strong with the social and emotional skills. And I work with them on developing those things. And it usually gets them promoted. It usually gets some relationships throughout the firm, not just with their manager, but with, you know, up to the CEO and all around. And the reason I say it starts off as business coaching is because it's almost like clockwork. Somewhere it's like month two or month three comes the comment, you know, my wife picked up on this or my husband picked up on that or my kids started noticing this. And that's when that's code, that's like that moment where the, the woman smiles at the bar because he realizes this is not about making him a better employee or just boosting his career. It's, it's life changing. And then that's when in, traditionally that's when I would start telling him, well, you know, I also do this dating coaching stuff too. And we could work on those things. And they'd say, no, 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 let's keep on a business. And then two weeks later, they're like, what were you saying about that attraction stuff? And then that picks up. I mean, it's sometimes with the relationship with the husband or wife, often with the kids, because that's like a more leadership relationship. Cool. Uh, and I also do a lot of work with, as I said, as I mentioned, environmental. And if you look at my TEDx talks, I describe a process of how I bring well-known influential people on my podcast and I ask them about their environmental values. And then I ask them, I invite them at their option to do something to act on those values. Now it's not, I'm not asking them to like go without straws or to not, I don't know, to carpool or something like that. I'm not asking them to do something for the environment. I'm, I'm asking them to do something for themselves. If you, you know, based on what I've been saying, you can pick up that I'm, what do they already care about and activating that. And then I had them on a second time and ask how the thing went. And always it's with rare exception, it's either that was hard, but the kind of hard I've been looking for, it brought value to my life or that was easy. I wish I'd done that before. And I'm, I'm trying to activate community so that people feel like I'm not just the only one who cares enough to act. Also, all these other people are, and we've had a lot of the same guests on our shows. So where can guys find you then? Joshuaspodek.com is where it's all there. And then in the upper right corner, there's the links for the TEDx talks, the books. Uh, if they want to contact me, if they're interested in coaching, then that's how to contact me too under contact. And I post on my blog every day. I post on my podcast or either my blog or my podcast every day. So thousands of posts there. Cool. Awesome. Well, guys, check him out. We'll put the link for that in the show notes. And Joshua, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. And in, in, in this situation, you're leading me. So I, I appreciate your leadership. It was very fun to let some stuff out that I haven't really shared much. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that.